Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Let's go back to 87 with Mike Tyson on Trevor Burbick in 1998. George Foreman on Joe Fraser in 1973. Rocky Massiano on Joe Lewis at some point in the past. And now, Scotland against New Zealand in 1987 and a bunch of other games as we head into this. These are the greatest knockouts of all time. Oh, excellent. I was expecting... There's a lot of fights in this game, so I was expecting you to single out a punch. No, no, it was just just a very basic pun based on an article by Bleacher Report where they labelled the greatest boxing knockouts of all time. Smart, smart. Um, I did leave out, however, the actual number three, Archie Moore, because I don't know anything about Archie Moore. Uh, probably because he boxed in the 1930s. If you told me Archie Moore played for England in this game, uh, n- not in this game, in this World Cup, then I would not be surprised. If you told me he was playing for England in this game, I would be surprised. Oh, yes. Because England are not playing Archie in this Moore game. has enormous... His son ends up playing for England. You never heard of him, but you look him up, and he was a legend in the sixties or something. Energy, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that kind of that, that kind of player. You know, vibe. he comes yeah. for at Gloucester, and everyone's really excited about this young kid. And they're like, by the way, his dad played for England, Archie Moore. Yeah, and he probably never actually does play for England. It, but it's just like there's a lot of hype around who his dad is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He at best wins one cap. In yeah. he makes an autumn squad, and Eddie never picks him. Yeah, that's it. That's it because. You do get players. I mean, I was thinking earlier about uh, Alan Wetton has yes. been a constant fixture in this All Blacks team. And I can't remember if it was Alan Wetton or Gary Wetton. But do you remember that his son, William Wetton, played yes. for Castra yeah, about yeah. sort of seven years ago yeah. and never really came to anything? But there was a lot of hype around him yeah. because of who his dad is. Yeah, that. I mean, that's just a constant factor, isn't it? And like, I've heard things about various age grade pathways preferring those kind of players uh i think mm, we both have yeah but it does yeah. bring you a lot of attention some players you know roman untermack is 10 yeah. times the player his dad was uh with all yeah. re- literally because he plays 10 uh with all regards nice. to emil um who was a world-class player as well yeah yeah which is the ridiculous like, thing about was him. also a fantastic player yeah maybe the only one of those that's properly lived up to it because other players you kind of go oh that's cool it's their son yeah or you go because you get like Kai Evans, right? So yeah. for any non-Welsh listeners, it's Yian Evans' son. And he's a solid Osprey's second-choice fullback. And yeah. uh, safe to say, under-20s level, everyone was saying, oh, he's going to be the next big thing. 
because of who his dad was. It's unfair that that is the yeah. case. Uh, yeah, because it puts yeah. unfair pressure on him. And it means that people will unnecessarily call him a flop. When actually, that's a bloody good like career path to be on. Adam Hastings, to go back to the game we're covering, right? Yeah. Fantastic player. Really yeah. great player. Really worthy international and all of yeah. this. Right? But he's always going to be living a little bit in his, his dad and his uncle's shadow. Because they're two of Scotland's yeah. all-time greats. Where he's just a very, very good international player. That's it. And speaking of families, mm. um, who are you? Oh, um, very good question. I've been pondering this in my soul for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not much further to working it out, but I think it's Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. Okay, okay, okay. So you've landed in a general ballpark of who you might be. Yeah, and you know what? I'll take it for where yeah, we're at in a minute. Quit while you're um, relatively ahead. Who are you? I believe. I've, so I did actually do some research on this uh, right. before the game. Uh, so because this, I, I had a feeling this might come up on the podcast. So okay. I believe that I'm Will Owen, which uh, I did kind of, I did share this. In fact, no, I didn't share it anywhere publicly recently. But uh, the Your rugby name. player, yes, yeah. The rugby player, Will Owen, recently mm. um, married the actress, Eleanor Tomlinson. Uh, and the, the wedding photographer accidentally tagged me in it on Twitter <laughs> instead. Which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that a Nottingham and former Leicester Tigers... Is he somewhere else now? I don't know. Uh, I, think st- I think he's still at Nottingham. Still he, might, Nottingham. he might have gone elsewhere in the championship, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, Flank has married a pretty well-known actress. Mm, I'd heard of her. Yeah. Like, that is that is almost Ben Volavola levels. Yeah. It is. That's... Um, you're right, because, like, it's... I'm get she's not like an A-lister, you know, mm, but no. like neither's he. No, exactly. He's championship level. How do they meet? How do they... anyway? That's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. Of course. So the Ben Volavola Shailene Woodley mm. thing happened pretty much exactly the same time that uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Darren Aronofsky were a thing, and it just led to my new favorite game where you would randomly state two celebrities. Uh, one of which you'd barely heard of, and one of which was very famous, and then just imagine them as a couple because sure. it seemed to be happening left, yeah, right, and centre. Yeah, I mean, well, at first there, I thought you were about to say Jennifer Lawrence and Darren Allenson, the former London Irish scrum half, uh, which could have happened. Could have happened. See, <laughs> I mean, there is more chance of Darren Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence meeting, but other than that, I think actually the him and her and Darren Aronson. Will have had more in common. Really difficult name to say. Darren Allen. Darren Allen. Darren Aronson. Aaron A. Aronson. I want to apologise quickly as well because the audio quality will have changed really drastically very suddenly because my mic stopped working. We paused for ten minutes because everything fell apart. So I'm having to use a different mic, which is not as good, and probably sounds weird and different and possibly shit. So I'm sorry about that, and I hope you're all having a lovely day as a result. As we move on to today's game, right? We're finally, we're finally, we're finally onto the knockouts. We are, which is right? a weird, weird sensation because we have we have talked for twenty four games now, or twenty five maybe games about how basically shit everything about this World Cup is, and now we're onto the bit where like people are about to win it. So this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because we're now onto the stage in which, in the previous World Cup, when we were covering 2011, because there wasn't a previous World Cup to this, 2007, no. um, when we were covering the 2011 World Cup, we suddenly got very serious when we yes. got to the knockouts, right? When we were in the pool stage, it was kind of a bit of a piss yeah, around. Yeah. Then we got into the, the latter end, and it became 
a, a kind of a you know a quite a serious and we talked analytical and we really went yeah, into depth yeah. on how the game had changed. But people and, have described uh, and... those last few episodes as analysis. Um, yeah, which is I still think is a bit of a stretch, but but I so I think because this podcast is basically a prequel to that one, mm. right? I sort of realised as I was as I was watching this game back, like what we're doing right now is we're doing Better Call Saul, right? So the original okay. podcast was Breaking Bad, yeah. and it started off as being silly and funny and nonsense, and now it's going to get so much darker than, Bre- than Breaking Bad ever was, right? That's where this podcast is now going. Sure. It's gonna, we're going to have to do as, as Better Call Saul does, and get so much more intense and heartfelt and moving, and generally be better than the previous series of the podcast, by some margin, I would say. That's where okay. I think we're headed. Yeah, yeah. I think we were... It started as silly, now it's going to have to be more intense. I think we were already a lot better in the previous series of the podcast, personally, but who am I to I mean, judge the, other than the... Here's the thing. Boss? The games are not. Yeah, which makes it a lot harder. And Has there been, having gone through the pool stage, one game that you would take over... No, I suppose that... There was the Georgia-Romania game. Yeah. There was England-Argentina. There were a few games there was that were a really dire of really in 2011. Right? If you break off the bottom but... 10% of the 2011 World Cup, then the answer to the question you're about to ask, presuming I know what the end of the question is, is no. But if we made a top 30 game to cover on the podcast so far, oh, right, I reckon question. about 28 of them would be from 2011. If we, it depends. Having looked at both ball If stages. we're talking objectively about the quality of rugby... Then yes, it would be. Yes, if we're talking about pissing about and just having f- generally enjoying it, it would be a little bit. There'd be a little bit more of a balance. So okay, so that first game between New Zealand and Italy, I really enjoyed. Yes, um, but partly for the novelty of seeing how shit it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, for the you know the dog on the pitch and Stefano Grisoni, Stefano Grisoni and those kind of sure. things, which were quite daft, entertaining. Yeah. The Dormier man himself playing fullback. Yeah. But since then, the novelty's worn off as you realise like everyone is just really yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, there is a there is and a massive sense of that. Like the second game every was now great and again, as well, but yeah, every now and again game. you get Zimbabwe, Romania, mm. you get Scott, no, um, Australia, Japan. Yeah, that was great. Um, and I think this game is a bit of a step up. You can tell there's more intensity. There here. is definitely. It's not brilliant. But it's better than a lot of the shite we've witnessed. Sure. And I think it's the best tier one on tier one game we've seen in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. I would, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that uh, you could actually tell a lot of the players were a lot more kind of up for this. And this was very serious at this point. Yeah. It felt a lot less arcadey, I think. Um, yes. But I, I did enjoy uh, vast parts of this game. Probably more towards the second half, actually. Because the first half was, it started slow. And what I find generally with these games, I mean, we both hate when people complain about kicking in rugby because yeah. it's generally done for a purpose uh, in the modern game and stuff. Whereas that hadn't quite been fully figured out back in 1987, kind of like nope. the the general kind of uh, kick, ideal kicking strategy, I suppose. So it's a lot less entertaining to watch because I, you know, we both love watching good mm. kicking battles. Whereas in 1987, we've not really seen a general, genuinely good kicking battle. But it, it also does kind of explain why people over a certain age mm. 
are more likely to hate kicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because they're used to watching this era. And then even when you continue on for another, like, 15 years or so, kicking is often kind of... There's a reason why you would kick, but you're not really aiming where you are. Yeah, kicking, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, or, you know, obviously you aim to some degree, yeah. but... You know, the the decision to kick is the important thing rather than where you're kicking or how you're kicking. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of not translated fully, has it? Yeah. And I think part of that is um, people not explaining the kicking game properly. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of coverage that doesn't really go into it in detail. And partly because we're still employing pundits who played in that era yeah. when um, when kicking was important, but it wasn't the backbone of sure. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my kind of philosophy on kicking in rugby has always been, right, that kicking should break the game because you, what you've got is fundamentally a sport where um, you are kind of looking to fight for individual inches and work your way up sure. and there are 100 yards on the pitch and your aim is to make up those 100 yards, yes. you know, in order to get to the opposition line, right? And it's kind of like trench warfare boiled down into a thing. Or something mm-hmm. the president of the Georgia Rugby Union said recently, like the nation views rugby as a controlled war. Yeah. Um, and you kind of look at that as the idea, right? Yes. Um, but then you have this chaos element, which is kicking, which is massively overpowered. Yeah. Right. You have one element of the game that is completely overpowered to everything else. It's really true. Because um, you can just get but 70 both teams up the, up the, the yeah. pitch, you know, just by putting it on your foot once. But both teams have it. Yeah. Both teams have access to kind of the nuclear code, as it were, to this kind of like one weapon that will end the opposition yeah. and end their efforts if you use it properly. Yeah. Um, and that is the way I think kicking should be viewed as like, this is, this is kind of the most powerful weapon in the game, mm, you know? It is. But both teams get it. This is the sniper like that. that also is a machine gun. I really gun. like that philosophy. Um, it's so much better viewing it as that than just, oh, it kills the game, you know? Mm. It's, I don't know. Um, no, it's a fascinating weapon that teams now deploy properly. Yeah. Whereas you look at this World Cup and you're kind of going, well, you were just, you just realised you had a gun in, you know, it's like the Zulu. You know, you just kind of saw them running at you with with knives and like bits of stick. And you saw you had a gun, so you just sprayed it randomly rather yeah. than taking intelligent shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but suddenly, the moment you kick it, they get they get a gun as well, and, like, and everyone's just flailing randomly. There are moments of great kicking in this game. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, I, I think, in the second half, we'll come on to it. In the second half, Gavin Hastings really wakes up and like does some intelligent kicks. And I mean, a big spoiler: Grant Bloody Fox is pretty exceptional. Um, yes. You, so I once nearly gave you Dick of the Day for saying, oh, this Michael Lionel lad's pretty good in the description of an Australia game on the Uncle Boomer mm-hmm. Who Can Recall Past Rugby World Cups YouTube channel. Uh, and Michael yep. Lionel turned out to be quite shit in that game. And this time you put in the description, spoiler, Grant Fox good. And let me tell you, that was a much safer prediction because bloody hell, Grant Fox is just world class. I... I thought about uh, that near Dick of the Day nomination mm. when I did that, when I wrote that description, yeah. if you sat next to me in the office. Um, of and here's the thing. I had seen the score sheet, and I had seen that most of the points are just Grant Fox. Yeah, okay. And when I saw the score, New Zealand 30, Scotland 3, I thought, well, this is going to be lots of tries, and they're just going to run all over them. Then I looked at the score sheet, and it was like, oh, it's just Grant Fox. <laughs> It's just Grand Fox everywhere. It's the scoreline thirty points to three is something very close to both of our hearts. Yes, 
Um, Quite. Uh, I got it drilled in there, yeah. Yeah. It is literally close to my heart. Like, I just have a little picture of Alex Cuthbert's try against England. I, I've spoken about this before, next to it. but I literally have a photo of that try being scored on my wall. Uh, like, I yeah. literally have a poster of Wales 30, England 3. No, some people bedroom. have... Some people have high cholesterol and that like blocks their blood arteries and so on, and that becomes a you know a, a bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, for me, I just have Justin Tipperick throwing that dummy, oh. clogging up my veins instead. Um, I just have like a little recreation of that blocked in there, preventing blood. I'd love to heart. get that into my veins. Um, yeah, I actually here's a here's a really minor fun fact. I have a tiny hole in my heart that um, not a metaphorical one, like a literal one that a doctor came across uh, that actually exists. Um, I never knew entirely this. because entirely because Justin Tipperick threw a tiny dummy and it opened up. Is the first half of that story real? The first half of that's true. The first half of that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. So about um, what was it? Probably about six, seven years ago now. It was before I started the channel, but while I was still living where I was when I started the channel, and I was really struggling to do anything. And when I kind of looked at the thing and I could like one, 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 and everything, and I kind of said like, just try and go about your everyday life, and things will just kind of they'll just continue. It'll be fine. Like, and you'll it normally it wears off inside like forty minutes. Mm. And it got to the evening and it didn't. So I tried to walk to the hospital, found out where I thought was a hospital was not a hospital. Got sent home and told to come in in the morning. Uh, so I, I ended up. I remember I finished Uncharted two whilst. Uh, having this thing on my chest. Yeah. And the moment I finished the game, because I was what I was doing to try and distract myself, was playing like the second half of Uncharted 2. The moment I finished the game, I literally put it down. I barely watched the cutscene. I called a taxi to take me to the hospital. Wow. Turns out, um, I have like a tiny hole in my heart and every now and again it'll do this. And okay. so like I've always had these kind of like random heartburn type mm-hmm. things. And it has always been this. But you're, but and, you're okay. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Basically like once every few years it's going to do this. It's going right. to just, I'm just going to have like this real, massive pain they just put me on a load of a uh, load of um painkillers and it was they were so strong that i enjoyed a jennifer aniston film that evening oh well i mean fair play uh good on you who do you think which um uh, obscure rugby player would you pair jennifer aniston up with oh i mean put you on the spot but no no no, no, no. probably um is it jason woodward jason gloucester, woodward. Former yeah, gloucester yeah, fullback yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 okay i think him i was gonna say ryan cross Oh, okay. I can see that. I can see that. Center. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Game, okay. That. It's a good game. That both. Yeah. Good game. Just a great game. Just a just a really really great game. Which Hollywood celebrity do you think Buck Shelford, as we move on to the New Zealand team, would end up with? The Rock. Yeah. Um, when you say end up with, probably in a ring, but not. An, no, 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 no. I, an I won't make. Of course. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. I mean, he's yeah. He's he's infamously missing one so he needs another rock in his life so um looking at the new zealand team uh they go with i mean there's knockout stage so everyone goes with the strongest teams sure. and tell you what it's a pretty good team it's a pretty good team when you look through it yeah you've got john gallagher at fullback keeps his place john Kerwin, the best player in the tournament yeah. so far other than on the wing other than timothy other than him oh i thought you meant super boot yep okay and the boot. third best player in the t- the fourth best player in the tournament yeah. after the two dogs and super boot um, and David Campese, that's fine. The fifth best player. The, in the third tournament. best human player um, in the tournament. And the the I mean, you've 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 had plenty going on, any. Um, Joe Stanley moves into thirteen from twelve. Indeed. Um, and yeah, otherwise it's largely as it was. You look through that pack, and it's full of just you know Sean Fitzpatrick, yeah. Alec, the both, both Western brothers, Michael Jones, Buck Shelford. That is a formidable pack, isn't it? And like, yeah, look at the players they leave on the bench. Like, they've got Richard Lowe, Zinzan Brook on the bench, Bruce Deans. Frano Botica. Yeah. Um, 
It's Andy Dalton. It's, it's, it's a, good. Yeah, hell of a bench they've got. Obviously, they only get to bring one of them on, but we'll come on to that. Um, yeah, hell of a New Zealand team. Yeah. Whereas they the Scotland team, I think. Yeah, Scotland. Scotland, likewise, kind of go with quite a tried and tested thing. Yeah. Uh, they do bring in Derek Turnbull into the back row. Yeah, okay. So this guy's making his debut in a World yeah. Cup final. And look, I shouldn't make too big a thing out of this because in 2011, we saw uh, Jean-Marc Dussan <laughs> making his debut in the literal final, which is batshit from Mark Lee Avermont. In 2019, we saw like Jordan Pattaya started that quarterfinal at 13. It was his first start, no, his second start for Australia. Um, but his first his in first game professional rugby at 13. Yeah. He hadn't played Super Rugby. So at sometimes shit like this happens, but it does just baffle me. When like they played Zimbabwe a week earlier, you could have picked the yeah. lad. It's the the amazing thing about it, I suppose, is that because it's the first World Cup, they were just like, well, it's another game, isn't it? Yeah, we're just giving them a big. Big chance. It is funny, but I mean, fair fair play. Um, as I say, I shouldn't make too big a thing out of it because it has happened subsequently and it still happens somehow in the modern game. Uh, I think that the big change yeah. is that um, Douglas Wiley moves into 10. Can, sorry, can I just give you one anecdote about Derek Turnbull? Sure. So, Derek Turnbull, right, was a policeman officer. Okay. Okay. As well as also another another product of Hoikar FC. Uh, which is one of the proudest clubs in Scotland. Yeah, that I don't I don't know if there's another club that's produced as many internationals as Hoyk. Um, at the minute, you know, you look at their team at the minute. You're talking Stuart Hogg. You're talking um, uh, da, 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 uh, Darcy Graham. Yeah. You're talking Rory Sutherland. Yeah. Like it's Lisa constant. Thompson They're constant. Came from there. Lisa Thompson, of course. There's a constant flow of Hoyk internationals. Yeah. Like you, you struggle to look at a Scotland team where they go like more than two years without picking a player from Hoyk. Yeah, uh, which for a very small town, it's insane. Is, is we have incredible. spoken about this before, but it, it does does bear repeating. Like, yeah, well, Hoyk has a population of about ten thousand. Yeah, right. So to produce the number of internationals they do Mental. is is remarkable. Mental. Yeah, um, clearly a brilliant rugby club. Yeah. Um, so, and also there, you know that thing where clubs will have the list of internationals they produce and their photos on the wall? Yeah. And their shirts and so on. Must be stacked. Yeah. Must be so they competitive get your shirt on the wall. They on clubhouse extensions just for... Yeah. Just for Stuart Hogg alone. Do you think it's why Hogg's so competitive? Because he just wants his shirt on the wall at Hoyk. Yeah, yeah. I think he just wants to take a certain percentage of the clubhouse and he's struggling. Hmm. So, Turnbull, Hoyk, Hoykman, Hoyk, Hoyker... Uh, yeah, was also a policeman officer, right? 2006, he was honoured with the Chief Constable's Commendation, one of the highest awards you can get within the Borders Police, okay. right? And do you want to know what he did? I certainly do. Now, you remember Shock van der Merwe, the lion tamer, right? I do, I do. Who played for Namibia in Wait, wait, why are you bringing him up? Right. He was a, he was a literal lion tamer. Who we did? If you look at our episode, I think it was on South Africa Namibia from 2011. It was, it was indeed. Um, if you want to look at, listen to that, and we talk in detail through the Namibian lion tamer who we went do. to the World Cup and played international rugby, right? Yeah. Um, I think Derek Turnbull can form the 15 of players who are inexplicably good at wrestling animals because <laughs> he had the, he is the Scottish equivalent. All right, right? okay. He is so the Scottish we, equivalent. We've got, in that 15, we've got two thirds of a back row at the minute. Yep. 
He is the Scottish equivalent of the lion tamer who befriended Angelina Jolie because she was such a he was such a good lion tamer, right? Um, is that part in two thousand, that he befriended Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shot Van der Merwe. Yeah, yeah. Angelina Jolie came to his lion sanctuary twice. I mean, this game of coupling these people up is writing itself. <laughs> oh, yes. Now that she's divorced and everything, I think we should pitch to ITV. An A-list celebrity slash rugby player Love Island. This is how you grow the game. It is. It is. Look. By putting them all on Love Island. Greg O'Shea can host. Yes, he can. Yeah. I see I see absolutely no issue here. Yeah. Right? I fully expect Sam Wainwright and Anya Taylor-Joy to be married within the year. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that Love Island is really missing an opportunity by... Going for, you know, going for good-looking people rather than going for beaten-up rugby players from the seventies. <laughs> Absolutely agreed. I just can't see any sense in that. Yeah. Um, no. So, so Derek Turnbull, right? Um, saved an old woman from a bull. What? <laughs> so a bull escaped from a local farm and was just running wild through the <laughs> through the fields, through so, hold on. throughout no, no, the borders. No, 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 no. What? So, there was just a bull in a random field somewhere in Scotland who had the potential to go then on foot to presumably somewhere quite civilised in the Hoyk area. Uh, so, it happened in Galashields. Um, okay. Again, borders. Um, and, so, Derek Turnbull, right? Yeah. <laughs> So the the pensioner was being chased by this bull. Okay. Okay. Um. So that yeah, the bull had escaped from an abattoir, um, and was kind of just like charging around everywhere, running around generally like a bull in perhaps a china shop. Um. Nice. It had been described by the staff at the slaughterhouse as enraged and out of control, according to the BBC News. Um, the police had chased the bull, um, and like, they, they chased it with a van as it ran down the street. Um, eventually the bull having ran through several fields and having kind of ran all around, got into a pensioner's garden. What? So I'm wait, imagining what, it like burst through the fence oh, or... Oh wait, no, to be uh, fair, yeah. I imagine it's not too difficult for a bull. I don't know why I asked how. Yeah. So the, the pensioner had been watching this happen, Right. Uh, oh no, 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 okay, okay, no, it does tell you this in the story, right? The bull jumped a small hedge! <laughs> Imagine, so this... you're just on, you know, you've, you've worked hard for 65 years of your life. You've worked hard at your job. Can you imagine this much? Yeah. You've worked hard yeah, at your job. Yeah, I can imagine this, I can you've imagine earned, this. You've earned a bit of time off. So you, you take your time off and you think, okay, today is a Tuesday. I'm going to go into my garden. I'm going to read a nice book, right? Yeah. You're living you're living in a nice suburban area of Scotland, right? Yeah. And you're just enjoying yourself. You sat down, you get you get out your little uh, your little folding chair, you know, you, you get that out, you put it out, sit on it, think okay. And you you get a few pages into your book, right? There's certain things which you expect to happen. For example, maybe Oh, the sun's come out. That's quite nice. Or indeed, oh, it started raining. That's a shame. I'll have to go in. Not quite. Oh, it's 
Wait, what's that noise? Wait, what? Are, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. what's that jumping over my hedge? It's a ball, but it's okay because within five seconds the police will be here. So no, so the police. So right, the police were chasing the ball down the street, and this old guy in his garden obviously went. Well, I'm going to stop and watch this, <laughs> and he was staring at the ball, and the ball saw him looking at him and charged at him and well, jumped yeah. over his hedge. Yeah. Um. At which point, Derek Turnbull comes running in, like, the opposite direction <laughs> and runs into, like, the ball's path and starts shouting and kind of trying to get his attention, right? Um, it then... So the, the thing I'm trying to work out, based on the, the BBC News report, which is the only information we've got going on this, really, um, is it refers to him as tackling the ball. And I don't know if that's a metaphor if he literally throws himself in, at the ball's legs. Yeah, I reckon that's likely. I mean, mm. I don't know much about tackling balls, but I'd imagine that uh, that would have been his instinct to save said pensioner. Yeah, he d- says he he tackled. Them. I guess he grabbed him and gave it. Yeah, he said he wanted to give the man time to escape. The the right. old man time to escape. Yeah. Um, a fellow officer then helped PC Turnbull escape by cornering the ball in the police van. So what did they then do with the the ball? Um, do you want to know? Yeah. The animal was then caught in a nearby garden, which is it then, it then hopped another So it then jumped somewhere else. So, I, I imagine it is like a hot fuzz style scene where the, the ball jumps over and then immediately the policeman jumps over and then yeah, another yeah, yeah. one that's, after that's that. what I'm imagining. With the... <laughs> no luck catching those balls then. Um, so. Just the one ball actually. The, it says the animal was caught in the nearby garden where it was contained and destroyed. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, so, shame that, but also at least the pensioner made it out alive. Yeah, I mean, one or two ain't bad. Yeah. Um, PC Turnbull said, I didn't really expect to get any kind of official recognition. This is all in the day's work, really. So I'm proud to be given this award. More like Derek Tackleball. Where it... Nice. Now, he's got a bloody bull in his name, hasn't he? Yeah. Why did this not occur to me? Yeah. How did... How has no one... I guess in a way he did turn the ball. He did turn the ball. He turned the ball's attention. He turned He literally turned his ball. Josh Turnbull, buck your ideas up. Right. Like, I know you're going to marry Nicole Kidman, but buck your ideas up first. the most insanely specific example of nominative determinism I have ever come across is Derek Turnbull. Derek, one day you will turn bull. And he did. His superpower is that he can turn bull. Absolutely extraordinary. He's the only rugby player I've ever known who knows how to turn bull. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, look, James Haskell shovels a lot of bull, but he's never turned it. Yeah. it's it, That's really quite incredible. Yeah. And now, obviously, looking through all of the players playing in this game are trying to think of anybody else who could potentially do their surname. And I'm struggling. Um, I mean, I let's mean, not go anywhere near Jeremy Campbell Lamerton. I mean, Roy Laidlaw, if he'd become a policeman officer too, he could have laid the law. That's very true. Shame he And didn't. yeah, David Soul presumably wore shoes. <laughs> yeah. You have a point. I mean, Richard Lowe probably did get quite low in scrums. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, thankfully, Wayne Shelford did not... There was at no point did he shoot George 
Ford. Oh, the Shell yeah, Ford. Yeah. There you are. I mean, I was going to say a minute ago that Derek Turnbull tackling the ball is the second bravest thing he does because he did get in a fight with Buck Shelford, which <laughs> yeah. is so far less advised than chasing a ball around the streets of Hoyk. It's really daft, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I I quite enjoyed Derek Turnbull's energy of like, I want to physically assert myself here. Yeah, yeah. Was clearly not really knowing how to do it. I think he had that that vibe of this could be my only game for Scotland. I am just yeah. gonna wreck shit up here, and I mean this as a pure compliment. He was so stupid <laughs> in everything he did in this game. He was so dumb. Like, I I wouldn't use the word stupid. I would use the word reckless. Mm. There's one point where he gets in a fight with Sean Fitzpatrick and Sean Fitzpatrick just stares him down and the camera just stays in uh, Fitzpatrick's face. And like as D- Turnbull starts the fight, Fitzpatrick just looks at him and he doesn't say a word, but the look just says like, are you sure you want to do that, mate? Um, I, and Turnbull I loved his energy. Back down. I loved it. it was I loved the energy of this debutant coming in yeah, yeah, against yeah. the team, the home team who were heavy favourites. In the biggest crowd we've had so far in this World Cup. Yeah. So far in any World Cup, I suppose. Uh, 30,000 people there. And you know what? Great atmosphere. Like, I think mm, that really stood out. Like, really good atmosphere for the first Your time. Your black fans were on fire. Yeah. Like, one of the best atmosphere I've heard in New Zealand. Like, they were probably yeah. behind the team and it felt yeah, like, yeah. A, you know, they the really United wanted front them to was do there. well. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. And I think when we're talking about this game being so much more entertaining than a lot of the other Tier 1 v Tier 1 games, I yeah. think it is largely the atmosphere. And yeah, it kind of oh, made definitely. a lot of this make more sense to me. You're um, spot on. So to have Turnbull come into this atmosphere and just randomly flail at everything with yeah, this kind of yeah. curiosity. For I loved it. Was and look, he gets penalised about six times, but who gives yeah. a shit? You know, the New Zealand no New Zealanders were left wondering whether the six for Scotland was on the field. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a good way um, of putting it. There's a great bit where early on there's a scrum that turns into a fight in mm. the first half. Yes. And you don't know quite know what happens, but suddenly everyone gets up from the scrum and they're all flailing. And Turnbull, like, he's on the flank, he gets back up, he sees this fight starting to break out, and he just starts flailing both his fists. Yeah, randomly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it written down that at one point during that fight, he punches Ian Paxton. Yeah. His own <laughs> yeah. number eight. Which like, is, he's that's so, the best thing, right? He's so into, like, just hitting whatever he can that he punches his own number eight. And that is the only play he connects with in that initial yeah, yeah, flurry yeah, yeah. and then one of the all blacks has like taken a blow from someone else and is starting to stumble backwards and he sees his back and he just punches him in the back yeah, so yeah, he yeah. falls over he is, when when he doesn't get a shot in an all black but somebody else does he is fuming and he spends yeah. the rest of the game just trying to like make up for it and at every opportunity he just gets in fights i just i really enjoyed it it's amazing. It's it's fantastic. I haven't written down that specific fight. That somebody is screaming in Scottish at that point. You can just hear a really loud Scottish voice just scream as loud as they can. There's then rugby values at the end as two players help each other up from the fight, which is pretty mm. funny. And they come to say, ah, they're all friends, really. Yeah. Good rugby values. Yeah. Funny. Um, to carry on looking at the Scottish team, so the big change for me is... Doug- Douglas Wiley goes into 10, mm. uh, having played 12 previously in the tournament because uh, Keith, no, Keith Robertson, um, 10, whose name I've forgotten, John Rutherford uh, is in- gets injured, of course, early on. And for some stupid reason, they don't start Richard Cram, Adam Jenkins' favourite player in the world. Um, so they go for Wiley instead, move Robertson into 12 and bring in the in-form Alan Tate into 13. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, and we have seen Burst of Wily playing 10 in this tournament Yeah, as well. we have. Yeah. Like, he, this isn't the first time he's, he's been moved there. But it is, it's, it's an interesting one as well, because he is a very exciting player. Mm. And you've got Iwan Tukolo as well on the wing. Like, it's a yeah. good, dynamic Scottish backline. It is a good Matt team. Duncan, yeah. um, who gets a couple of touches in the second half by the time yeah. the game's kind of gone. But, um, and these you know, are players who played well against the smaller teams and scored a lot of tries at those points. Yeah. And, and have deserved their place in the team, haven't they? Should but we start... there's a, Go on. there's a reason, um, I think that we talked about the kicking game so much up front. Okay, because I yeah. think this is the most kicking heavy... Other than England-Australia, which was kicking heavy, but in a really dull yes. way. I think this is the most interesting kicking performance, kicking game of the tournament so far. I do agree. And I really emphasises uh, how far the game has moved in that front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also that that was possible in this era. You can definitely see what players are going been... for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can see... You can get the tactics. But the interesting thing about it as well is... Um, I suddenly got like our granddad's point of why do you kick the ball away because you're just giving it to the opposition, yeah, yeah. right? Because defense, neither defense was particularly good. No. Um, but Scotland did scramble really well in their own 22. They did. Um, whereas Scotland don't, themselves only really got one chance in New Zealand 22 and they kicked the yeah. penalty from it. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much immediate, that penalty. Sure. So we don't really get to see them have a chance to do that. Yeah. Um, but because... Neither defence was up to much. You see that occasionally when they are, when Scotland get into the, you know, the last 15 minutes of the game, they are suddenly just chucking it to Tuchel and Duncan all the time and just hoping yeah, they'll do something. Yeah. Alan Tay as well. And there's points and where it they works, are. but yeah. Um, so I do completely get of this era that argument of do you just keep the ball in hand? Yeah. But at the same time, New Zealand were getting great returns out of the kicking game. Like That's New Zealand it. won this game because their kicking game was I infinitely have, superior. I have got written down at one point. Mate, it's a quarterfinal. Why is Wiley still kicking for a laugh? Because there are certain points in the first mm. half where he, he is kind of going for that. He does eventually learn from it and kind of leaves it more to Hastings too. Because Hastings has a much bigger boot than him. And yeah. realistically, for Scotland in this game in particular, when they're kicking, they want to do it purely for territory. Um, yeah. They're doing it just to get downfield and to try and force some kind of error from New Zealand. Which... Granted, they're the, the least likely team in the tournament to make an error in their own half because yes. their like their catching skills are so far superior to any other team in the tournament, mm-hmm. uh, and like their support play, they they just genuinely know how to link up with each other, uh, which most of the teams in this tournament haven't shown any signs of really being able to do. So I think Scotland did generally kind of after the twentieth minute have the right tactics for this. Just yeah, New Zealand are the one team that they don't really work against. That's it, that's it, that's it. Um, but I found myself thinking about when we were watching that, um, the two Wales tests against South Africa, the first two tests. Yeah. Um, and us both talking about how, I remember making the point repeatedly during that game, like, we need to be kicking more. We need to be yeah, kicking yeah, so we more. both said that to each right? other a lot, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about that, as you would never be saying that in this era. Mm-hmm. Scotland kicked a lot, but you would never be saying we need to be kicking more. That's the way we're getting into the game. Yeah. And New Zealand's kicking and got them on top, but you'd never be saying that. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting distinction just because of the quality of defence. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because, you know, at the time there was always a way to get around a defence. Now there isn't. Yeah. You know? Or now there is, but it's far more difficult. You know, yes. you kind of need something that you've really thought through. Rather, you can't just do it off vibes. Yeah, yeah. There's very rarely a vibes way through an international defence. Yeah, yeah. That has died um, out in the last sort of 10 years. Um, yeah. 
Which is why, you know, if you ever see Rugby World Cup share an old try, somebody will comment saying, the good old days, um, bring back flair. When it's like, no, the flair's not gone. The tackling's just good now. Yeah. And as we talked about this in the past, but like it's led to defence being interesting and exciting to watch. Yes. Which I think like is more of a boon to the game. It's an acquired than the taste, loss of isn't the occasional. It? Yeah. Yeah, but I think the kind of the thrill of your team turning the ball over on their own try line. Agree, yeah. Is more than makes up for the occasional loss of Yes. Um you know, the loss of one or two individual tries, which still do happen, but they're less common. Sure. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I think the I think this was a game dominated by kicking, and I think New Zealand kicked incredibly well. They did, um, yeah, definitely. They, do, they hang a kick in the first half, um, which is an inch perfect, that tactic that Argentina used a lot in 2007, um, and it's generally caught on as like a big thing, and I think it's starting to die out now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not dying out, but like it's... I think we're on the, the verge of it becoming less popular, of hanging the kick perfectly on the edge of the 22. Yes. So the fullback can't call a mark, but he's under enormous pressure, and they get smashed. It's, it's, and Hastings takes it perfectly, but he gets nailed. Yeah, it's at that point that I I looked at this and just thought, "Good God!" Like Grant Fox is mm. just phenomenal. Like there's nobody else in this tournament with, and it's it's not just his kicking game because his kicking game is utterly fantastic. Yeah, but uh, what I previously highlighted from him elsewhere in the tournament is his passing game and his just general yeah. vision of space and stuff. But it's that point where. He takes a ball off his bootlaces and hangs up the perfect up and under for Hastings. Uh, and you're right, he takes it, but he gets nailed. And then New Zealand maybe turn it over a couple of phases later. And once again, he gets another pass around his ankles and he almost nails a drop goal. He hits, he comes yeah. off off the post. Uh, and it's just like, that guy's skill set is just off the rails. Absolutely next level. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of talk of like this New Zealand team were essentially training as professionals at the time. Sure. When, you know, officially they weren't and they weren't allowed to be. But to all intents and purposes, they were like early on professionals. Yeah, yeah. The worst force in the world. They should be stripped of their title. Undoubtedly. Um, But Grand Fox, it really shows. You say his skill set is so far beyond any other ten in the tournament. It's, again, the All Blacks are by far the most skillful team in this tournament, right? But his yeah. skill set is above anybody else on his team by a yeah. mile. Even John Kerwin, who's the other even John Kerwin, out. who has been arguably the best player in the t- human player of the tournament, other than David Campese and Severo Corandurudua so far. Uh, like the skill set on Graham Fox is just next level, uh, mm. and he would still be a very good player today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you gave him kind of professional conditioning and everything, yeah. and you know, he's a generational talent. Yeah, we're looking at an all-time great, all nonetheless. Like, yeah. Whereas a lot of these players kind of um, would be found out a bit if you dropped them in. Fascinating the thing Jamie Wall was telling us about how uh, he scored one try in his All Blacks career. Mm. Did he even score one try in his All Blacks one try, career? One try. One try in his All Blacks career, um, and yet he was still such a threat. Yeah, uh, it wasn't a thing that people like drifted off him or whatever. Like he was such a threat, so and you wouldn't tell. There's a moment as he's lining up his first kick at goal. The commentator says, this, of course, is the man who has a dedicated routine for his kicking. He controls his breathing. He controls his stance. He take, always takes the same number he of steps back. He loves talking about his bloody kicking routine, doesn't he? But that's the thing. Like They were laying kick. this out as, he is the man who does this, right? Yeah. This was a new thing. 
people just kind of took a few steps back and depending on how far they were, what the ground was like, then Welly did it, right? Yeah. Grant Fox had a dedicated routine, which now everyone does. Yeah. And it was extraordinary like, to hear them talk about this as being a special thing. That that's it. This like, guy has a routine. You, if you watch amateur kids kicking, they have yeah. their own routine. Yeah. They have something that makes them feel comfortable. Grant and Fox like, essentially, I wouldn't say invented, but popularized that. Hmm. A lot of that is down to Johnny Wilkinson. Yes. You know? Like a lot of it. So I, I did a thing, at, I think I mentioned on another episode, mm. the YouTube headquarters, I was like invited to be a speaker. Yeah. Uh, and also on the panel was Sarah Beatty, who's um, COC something of the Six Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, like from her perspective, she thinks maybe the most important thing to have happened to rugby, one of the, certainly in the last kind of 30 years, um, is that Johnny Wilkinson, David, but David Bowie? I thought you were going to say David Byrne, but... David Beckham. Oh. Um, but imagine, imagine, imagine Johnny Wilkinson and David Byrne, because those two would have nothing. David in Byrne would have a really interesting kick routine. I feel like he would constantly he... be spinning around. Does he kick up and in down. the massive suit? Can he kick in like a massive oversized <laughs> rugby kit with massive boots as well? I would love that. I I would love to see David Byrne playing rugby. Now you mention it, so he I no I yeah I I've, almost did a... I've thought I've been spending the last minute trying to think of talking heads rugby puns, and I'm really yeah not digging deep enough. I mean, no. If he saying... look, can I make the the worst one I've got? Mm, okay, I uh, know. I mean, still they're all bad, aren't they? Um, they're all bad. They're all bad. I mean, look, I can just kind of go, you know, he's a once in a lifetime player. Um, yeah. he scored 77 points for his country. Uh, True stories. Yep. Um, <laughs> he of course played against Buck Shelford, who was a, um, psycho killer. Yeah. Um, sometimes he'd take the wrong option though. You know, he'd just run into contact and be a road to nowhere. You, you know, there's, you can keep going. You can keep going. You can keep going. Yeah. My favorite talking head song is Don't Worry About the Government. Um, but there's literally no way to get that in. No. I, I mean, my favourite Talking Head song is probably Cross-Eyed and Painless. And, okay. Uh, again, I was really trying my best to think of, like, something that... Wait, is this an episode of Talking Talking Heads Reu? Are you talking Talking Heads to my Talking Heads. Head, you mean? Yes. The, the Adam Scott the, and Scott Ockham Wait, podcast. is this an episode of Are You Talking Talking Heads Reu to You to... R.E.M. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess it is now. T- t- talking Heads are great. Yeah. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Um, And good on David Byrne just being a big weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, speaking of trendsetters, Which, I think that he did a lot for just being extremely weird on stage. And in terms of playing the game again, but reversed, I'm going to say he should get married to Harriet Miller Mills. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. Um. I think um, no. So um, what was I saying? I was saying something about oh yeah. So Sarah Beatty of the Six Nations, yeah, uh, saying one of the most important things that ever happened to rugby was the David Beckham Johnny Wilkinson advert, yes, because uh, that was everywhere in the early noughties, mm. and it led to Johnny Wilkinson kind of like because it was around two thousand and three, just before the two thousand three yeah. World Cup, and like him exploding in popularity, yeah, and like, then the, the drop goal happens, yeah, yeah, mm. and he becomes like the most famous rugby player there's ever been in this country, yeah, um, well, certainly this country's ever produced. You know, Joan Lomu was a an enormous deal to the point like. 
The yeah, point like French Peter and Saunders did. Yeah, he was on Peter adverts. French and Saunders did sketches about him. You know that kind yeah, of like yeah. level of famous. Which there is no player close to that at the minute. No. Um, it would be really funny if they did though. Like just you know do sketches yeah. about like. But uh, who would be funny? Tom Wright. <laughs> be great. Yeah. Um, but you can trace that kind of like explosion and growth, right? Yes. Johnny Wilkinson, incredibly distinctive. A, he was really handsome. B, he was really good. And he had the kind of like hard work routine, kind yeah. of pretty easy. Really nice lad as well. But that kicking routine, right? Yeah. That kicking routine is the thing. That is, um, like, every time, right, uh, whenever I've gone for a kick around with friends who don't know about rugby, yeah, uh, and whether they've either had a rugby ball that they're about to kick, or they're doing like a free kick routine, they do the Johnny Wilkinson thing. Yes. They all know it. They put their hands together and they squat. Everybody knows it's the Johnny Wilkinson thing. Yeah, right. It's just like, it's a ubiquitous thing for anyone over the age of about 17 in this country. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe slightly older. Um, like, it's just, it was there. It's in your kind of cultural, like, ingrained yeah. there, the Johnny Wilkinson routine. Um and that all, that kind of like the most important cultural event in rugby, certainly in the UK, is dated back to Grant Fox. And speaks about, um, as in Keith Quinn on comms, speaks mm. about the way he like, he shakes all the nerves out through his fingers. Yeah. So like, as he's stopping, he kind of like shakes any tightness in his body out so that he's okay and he's ready to but the thing is, like, take the kick. We can take the piss out of that, but to him that makes sense. And that's how he gets yeah. all these kicks. Yeah, you know, I get it. it. I get it. Like, it's, it's great. It makes sense. And, like, um, I really like that as, uh, a, I guess, a metaphor of getting all of the kind of demons out of his body using his, his things. Look at, the famous one is Rob Cook's kicking style. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is really exaggerated. Look it up uh, if you don't know it. But he's really exaggerated squat. And he does a little finger shake and stuff. And it's like, if that somehow makes you feel comfortable, then fair play to you. Um, yeah. There's So there's, there's a lad that I um, used to coach who you're familiar with. He's now about 16 years old, um, who is an extremely good goal kicker. And for mm. several years, um, Ollie, if you're listening, hello. Uh, for several years, he did the Owen Farrell uh, look, drawing a line between the ball and the post with his eyes thing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always found that really funny that uh, that he like did that because I was like, there is no chance that makes you feel comfortable. I don't think. He I does mean, it the, anymore, but I love you keeping track of that. But him having a better kicking percentage than Owen Farrell last season. Yes, I did. I did keep a track yeah. of this. So for the first half of the season. I think he, there was a point where he was on about eighty percent goal kicking. He is, for his age, an exceptional goal kicker. As you have seen mm. him, you've seen him kick. Goal He's very, kick. very good. He's yeah, very yeah. good. That's nothing to do with my coaching, by the way. Genuinely, I've never coached <laughs> goal kicking. You know, it's just all his hard work. But um, at a point, it did dip towards the end of the season because people were being selfish and scoring in the corner. Um, but he had a kicking percentage of about 80 for a while. And I told him that's better than a lot of premiership kickers. And then he was then asking me like every week, those points where he was like texting me saying, what's my kicking percentage now? Um, and then I was having to tell him and he was comparing with Owen Farrell and yeah, that's, that's how you get kids to get their hopes up. I tell you. Well, like, so Dan Bigger is a career, I think 85 point something kicker. Like he is around 85, 86%. It's not bad to only be 5% behind. Yeah. You know. So Dan Bigger was also like, he was, the reason I bring him up in particular is he was named by that study um, as the best kicker in the world mm. because of the, of the professional era, the yeah. kind of the last 15 years or something. 
uh, if you took the difficulty of the kicks into equation. Sure. Whereas there are players who have better kick kicking percentages, but they're not taking goals from forty five meters in the corner. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. bigger like bigger has that thing where the more difficult the kick and the more pressure on it, normally the, yeah, the better the chance yeah, of them getting it. Yeah. It's it's a really a lovable for us prickish thing about yeah. Dan Bigger that he loves he loves putting the finger up to anybody like who doubts that he could get a kick. Um, yeah, you, like you look at that one uh, against England in 2015, and yeah, the Ospreys in there was, Leinster, yeah, 2012. Yeah. Obviously, there is doubt over those kicks, but as soon as they go over, you just go, "Of course, this is Dan Bigger." That one in the first test against South Africa this summer, mm. right? If the South African crowd had booed him more, I think he would have got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. But it's a hard thing like, to explain. But there was this kind of like dumbfoundedness in the crowd, and kind of going, like, "Oh shit, what happened?" Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, I think if there was like a huge boo and like everyone on him and more pressure on him, I yeah. think he would have nailed it. And he was yeah. very close anyway. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I love Dan Bigger, even if not many other people do. Um, the, the, uh, rugby fans, that is. I'm not implying that his family don't love him, because they definitely do. Uh, anyway, should we talk more about the game? <laughs> but you clarified that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I figured the the kicking both for goal and territory and everything yes. else is like a big theme of the game. So I wanted to kind of talk about that more. But another interesting thing happens, right? Grand Fox takes one kick goal. I think it is his first kick goal. Yeah. And Gavin Hastings calls the mark from it. Yes. So it's from about 50 metres out, Fox takes yeah. his kick. It's a really difficult, ambitious kick, and mm-hmm. he doesn't quite get it. And yet, it doesn't come off the posts. Hastings just calls the mark, which isn't allowed nowadays. I don't, I don't know, know if... whether or not it was there. It must have but... been... The referee awards it. Yeah. If it was allowed back then, why have people not done it throughout the tournament? Yeah. But then, it gives you a free shot to go dead, or people... Have... Yeah. But yeah. then, so there's one then in the second half where Fox takes a similarly ambitious kick goal and it drops about a yard short and he, this time Hastings has two All Blacks bearing down on him, which he doesn't in the first case, where right. he's kind of under no pressure when he takes the first one. Second one, he doesn't call it when he's under far more pressure, when it's a far better decision to call it. Right. So I don't quite know what, yeah. what, what goes the on there. Are about that. Um, I say nowadays the ruling is you can only call a mark if it comes off the post. Yes. From a kick goal, which is insane. Yes. I've seen that I've only happen, happen once. once. Yeah, Greg Laidlaw. Greg Laidlaw, Samoa. When Samoa, we get yeah. to that game in 2015, I think we've brought this up on the podcast like four times. Um, but yeah, what a great exploitation of the law that is. Uh, speaking of Gavin Hastings, at one point, Keith Gwynn on comms says he's 96 kilometres. <laughs> he meant kilograms and he did then correct himself. But he originally said he was 96 kilometres. And look, we've already touched on the, I think it was Tongan player who gets exponentially taller throughout games. Um, but uh, he finally has some competition in the the skybound Scottish fullback. So, um, okay. So <laughs> that would mean <laughs> if Gavin Hastings lay down, then kind of stood up where his head was, and then lay down again, then stood up where his head was and lay down again, you know, if, or if he could like flip himself over like sure. one of those enemies in Mario, right? And he could kind of do that. It would take him four lies down to get from Edinburgh to London. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, he is about the length of Scotland. <laughs> he's, he's just under, I think. That's incredible. He is insanely tall, especially at fullback. He can mark any ball. 
No, okay, no, he's about he's about a quarter of Scotland. Okay, okay. Which to be fair, yeah, why aren't you putting him in the second row? Yeah. Considering what a shit show all lineups. <laughs> There's one line out in this game where six players knock it on. <laughs> yes! And the referee and is just so like confused. Pinball. It's like volleyball. They're just kind of batting it back and forward. Like, yeah. you have it, you have it. The referee gets so confused and eventually just gives the scrum to whoever threw it in. Just because he just has no idea what to do because everybody's no. knocked it on. And he's just not sure which one came first. It's incredible. Six knock-ons. Um, but it is very much, you know, there's a lot of lineouts going on and none of them seem to work very cleanly. There's a lot of... Um, Scotland almost regathering their own line-out ball, and then New Zealand somehow stealing it and coming away with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that almost leads to the first try, which gets disallowed. The only try of the first half, which, yeah, isn't given. Yeah. Um, which would have been for John Kerwin, because he's unbelievable. Yeah, that's, at that point, I just have written down, yeah, well done, lads. Why don't we all just give it to John Kerwin? Because that's what <laughs> they do. But I think this is a really interesting try to talk about. Because... Yeah. This try isn't given because New Zealand are penalised for throwing a miss pass. Wait, was that? Oh, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, so literally for deceiving the, the opposition, Michael Jones kind of takes the ball off the tail of the line out, carries yeah. it in, and New Zealand go brilliant. They kind of like very modern move. Like it's very similar to the try uh, Christian Dyer scored at the minute for no, not not the minute, at the minute he's scoring, scoring right now. He scored the other week uh, against Chile. Yeah. Um, where they get one big carry and McGinty goes, okay, let's go now. Yeah. And kind of they pull the trigger sure. and they just go hands on the line, you know, just go in the corner. Uh, not dissimilar idea. Grant Fox gives an early pass, which is interesting because they were quite rare. Mm. Um, like he, he receives the ball like, straight in and out of his hands to someone yeah, on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Um, where they kind of, like, there is he a does big, check the defence a bit. There's a big fixation on tens needing to be fast in this World Cup. Yeah. So they can actually draw somebody in actively. It's the kind of touch you see someone like George Ford give a lot. Yes. A lovely, where they're just kind of quite small, and it's just like the defence's eyes, we need to change twice. Yeah. Whereas if I run, they just kind of go with yeah. me. Um, that kind of like little pop ball, that little like early pass, that kind of, yeah, just very instinctive play, mm. um, where they're not bothered about contributing themselves. Yes. Like the ball just going through their hands is contribution enough. Yeah. Um, and he gives one of those, which is quite rare in this tournament. Like, we're not really seeing those. We're seeing no. occasionally tens catch it, and then they kind of, like, look outside them, and then they give a pass, and it's quite slow. Whereas he's very, like, rapid in how he executes this. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, New Zealand spin it along, and there is one Scottish defender on the outskirts. I think it would be Matt Duncan, wouldn't it? Or yeah. Tukolo. Um, uh, it w- would have been Tukolo, yeah. Yeah, Tukolo. Um, who sees the most dangerous move in the World Cup the fullback coming into the line, right? And earlier in the game, Scotland's first attack of the game, they do this and Gavin Hastings bursts right through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, makes a clean break. Every time this happens, it's almost guaranteed to be a clean break. If yeah. the fullback comes into the line, you're screwed, right? However, seeing this coming, Tukolo goes, oh, brilliant. Okay, I'm just shooting on the fullback and just tackle him. You know, he goes, he goes absolutely He's been taking notes from Paul Higgins. Higgins. Yeah. Full Kevin Higgins. Um, so he shoots in on him. And so there's a moment where... Uh, is it Joe Stanley giving the pass? Yes, it is Joe Stanley. Yeah. Joe Stanley kind of weighs it up and goes like, oh no, I'll just throw a miss pass. Throws it outside him to Kerwin, who then steps his man, beats four people, scores in the corner. Brilliant, brilliant. Like, really great finish. Should get squeezed and touched as well. Doesn't. Just fantastic finish by Kerwin. Um, yeah. And the referee calls it back as obstruction. 
because essentially it's like a dummy line, but he didn't know he was gonna. He wasn't yeah, getting yeah, caught. He wasn't yeah, a dummy yeah. runner. Yeah. Like, and as you say, that Tucolo takes him and kind of goes, "All right, I'll slightly push off him so I can then cover Kerwin." And because he yeah. makes contacts with Gallagher, the referee goes, "Oh, that's obstruction! How dare you try and deceive the player into thinking that you're catching the ball? It's not very values, is it?" It's ridiculous. Like it's beyond the France Japan one we talked about in the 2011 World Cup. Yes, where there was disallowed for using a screen runner. Yes, uh, this is literally you say for throwing a mispass. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. get penalised. Yeah, and like in the previous game, we saw Japan score off like a genuine yeah. hit boot move, whereas this wasn't even that. Nope. And it kind of, I suppose that's kind of where the first half, what the first half becomes. Mm. Um, that tries disallowed and. Grant Fox takes, I think, like 86 kicks at goal. But it's constant because Scotland do nothing but give away penalties. Some of them are for fighting. There's one moment I love where the referee calls both captains over and David Kirk goes right over and is like really talking to him. Colin Dean sounds like five metres away. And in the end, he penalises New Zealand. And it just really works, that kind of like showing innocence by being like, I wasn't involved, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Colin Dean does stamp on Murray Pierce's face. Like, he does stamp on Murray Pierce's face, yeah, but that's fine. People do that, you know? yeah. There is, there is a lot of that. I have written down, interestingly, about 20 minutes into the game, that I think Gavin Hastings is having a bit of a mare. Uh, really? I very much, I I well. very much changed my tone on that, looking back at the game now. Um, but at the start of the game, he was like dropping the ball quite a lot. He, he like mm. His balls, you know, his kicks were going quite badly. But he really came alive when Scotland went to shit in the, uh, the second half. And he then suddenly became like, arguably the best player on the pitch. Um, he yeah. was fantastic at the better the game went on but he had a shaky start but he's evidently i didn't i don't i didn't think he did yeah. i thought he played well solidly throughout uh he takes a couple of really tricky high balls under a lot of pressure yeah which is the bar for the uh, fullback in this world cup especially a fullback who's 96 kilometers tall <laughs> exactly he just kind of like plucks it out with one hand yeah uh i mean you say high balls they're not very tall uh compared to him are they no of course not of course not no one is though. Like the mountain's smaller than exactly. Actually, no. He's he's like a few feet short of being legally a mountain, isn't he? I've just I've just checked. So in feet, uh, he is three hundred and fourteen thousand uh, nine hundred and sixty-one feet tall. I mean, he's fifty-nine miles. <laughs> if you um, thought Adam Beard was tall. And if you thought those goalposts were tall. As, yeah, 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 they, they were just made so he could see them. Yeah. So he could see when he was taking his kicks. Yeah, yeah. He specifically asked it in kicking practice a few days beforehand. Like, as, he gets them a little bit taller. I don't know whether my kicks are going over. As Warren Gatlin once said, you can't coach someone to be 59 miles tall. <laughs> the question is, how does he see the ball when he's kicking it off the ground? He doesn't. He just swings his leg and swings it tends to go like, somewhere. And like, yeah. And to be fair, he has the thing is though, targeted. The thing is though, right? Because his legs are so long and therefore there's so much swing involved. Mm. He couldn't play nowadays in France because they've got the strict 90 second kick clock, and it takes longer than that for his kick, his like his leg to swing fully. It's true. It's true. It makes you. What proportion of the human body is taken up by the legs? <laughs> How did we get here? Uh, as David Byrne once asked, nice. um, before he got married to Harriet Miller Mills. And also, like, he would need to stand on the other side of the ground in order to take a two-step run-up. 
I don't think he really cares about sides of the grounds. The, the grounds like that big compared to him. So. <laughs> No, I imagine he's the same. He's not like a giant who is in proportion. <laughs> he's just like an incredibly tall person, but still built the same. So like, <laughs> just like stretched out. Like when you stretch an image out and it looks horribly like out of whack. So are you saying that like of his 96 kilometers, like 95.9 of those kilometers are just his legs? No, 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 no. no it's exactly as he would be now. But instead of being proportionate to the size of, of being 96 Oh, I see, tall, because he's, he's still just, thin. You just stretch him out. Yeah, yeah, he's still thin. Like, if you stretched him out all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To like, be 96 still really easy tall. to sidestep. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's an absolute nightmare for the him. The difficulty becomes if he lays down, which makes me think he shouldn't have played fullback. He should have just played it as a defensive line, so somebody would have to <laughs> hurdle him. <laughs> you couldn't do it, you, you, could you? No. Or if he just huh. knelt down and signed fans. Everyone is, yeah. Everyone is jumping into the tackle when against Gavin Hastings. Exactly, yeah. Because he has never mind being bigger than the pitch. Never mind being bigger than the stadium. He's bigger than the town they're playing the game. Yeah, in. exactly, exactly. Like he could lay around in like a protective circle of the town. Yeah, the never mind the defensive line, the, uh, Gavin Hastings. But yeah, I mean, it would mean that he gets quite a lot of studs on his back, uh, and particularly his back legs. So yeah. if he played in an era where you were allowed to wear You've... tights, as you, as we are now, yeah, uh, he'd be a lot more protected. You've seen this this era though; like everyone is getting a lot of studs in the back. Yeah, he's he must be somewhat used to it, even though he is a fullback. And then again, this game, I don't blame him. And do you know why? Mm. Why? Buck Shelford's playing, and he would do some pretty nasty things, I'd imagine, to the back legs of Hastings if presented to him. And any legs. Yeah. And any general anywhere. Humans, generally. Yeah. Oh, we are one episode away from the bookshelf special. I can't wait. Or one game away. We're getting very close to the incident. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. We're getting very close. I realise that. Wow. That's something to not look forward to. Um, We're going to have to go into some detail on that probably as well, which is not good. Anyway... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So uh, Grand Fox takes about 800 kicks a goal. Yeah. Um, I have written my notes more like Grand Infinite Monkey, which is not very good a joke. Um, that's, that's, I would actually say that's, that's a poor joke. I'd say it's actually really bad. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I agree. Yeah. Completely agree. 
Because there is this kind of like, even though he's a great kicker, if you're giving him a shot at goal, literally everyone on the pitch, sure he's going to get some. Sure, eventually he's going to score 30 points. Yeah. It's kind of like a reverse Martin Rodriguez situation, isn't it? Yes. Of like, if we give him endless shots at goal, we can all laugh at him for missing them all. Instead of actually, you know, we'll give him a thousand shots and he'll get six. Yeah. Like he's, to he's kicking percentage is probably about 50%. But you look at the difficulty of half the kicks he's taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be fifty percent. We expect it. Half of the ones he actually gets as well. He gets some pretty yeah. hard ones. So I don't blame him at all for attempting all these shots at goal or indeed yeah. missing them because he gets yeah. some really difficult Agreed. ones. And it's knockout rugby. There's a point where the crowd boo him for going for goal, uh, and it's just like, no, this is a knockout. The first ever knockout game of international rugby. That's an, yeah. Really interesting thing that isn't it? Mm. That you realise like actually they've never been in a situation as a yeah. international team before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there weren't semi-finals and so on of leagues at this point. There weren't really leagues. You had cups yeah. occasionally. You had the, the, I suppose, the now ITM, whatever it was at the time. Sure, yeah. Um, but, like, the English teams weren't really playing in cup competition. The English, no. you know, a lot of these Scottish players, a lot of these players won't have been exposed to knockout rugby before this. Yeah. Obviously, you go and wanted to win every game, but... It's a almost a brand new concept, and so I suppose they're working some stuff out as they go. Yeah, but New Zealand just taking the points constantly and just not allowing Scotland into yeah. the game. Really smart. Scotland's not to force. New Zealand are half. utterly ruthless in this game. Yeah. They squeeze the life out of Scotland as you say. They start forcing things. Like there's points where Grant Fox gets two penalties in a row, and on both of those opportunities from the kickoff. Uh, mm. Gavin Hastings goes for like a chip kick so there's one who goes for a short grubber mm. along the floor and there's one who goes for a little chip uh, aiming for Paxton to take it probably one-handed and maybe make a line break off the back of that and neither of them work but you don't blame them at all for trying it I actually no. when they tried it I thought oh that's good that's good play that they're actually trying to roll the dice and do something different to what they're doing so they can yeah. break the All Blacks down but uh, it's it's not working out for them that way um, because New Zealand are just so utterly ruthless in everything they do. And their breakdown works fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's less having jacklers at this point and more just like blitzing over the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. But the likes of you know, players like Michael Jones who you can't mm. really get a proper feel for when you're watching him play against some of the teams we've seen yeah. in the games up until now. Uh, you get a real sense of why he was so valuable in this game. Definitely. Um because he is so good at blitzing over the ball and he is so good at just being there. You know, if it's ever a fullback gets caught under pressure, it happens to Hastings a few times and it's only yes. really a winger getting anywhere close. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. That didn't even really happen often. The winger would stand off mm. and like one forward would run around the corner. Jones was so good at early blitzing over and yeah. securing the ball. Yeah. And kind of like, there's a great, there's a great uh, turnover at one point where it's similar to that. And New Zealand forwards are basically just stopping Scots getting to the ball because the ball has spilled out. Mm. And instead of clearing out, they're just kind of like literally running in and blocking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Picking the ball up until Kirk can get there. By the way, something uh, important that we've not mentioned, relatively mm. important, your Blacks are playing on white in this game. Didn't even occur to me, yeah. Do you not notice? Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Just didn't think about it. There's a thing for you. And they won this quarterfinal, unlike in 2007. Indeed, indeed. So, they there's a point where... I wonder if I ever talk about that game. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, there's a point mm. where Warwick Taylor goes off injured, and they replace him mm. with Bernie McCarhill on his second cap for the All Blacks. And 
I mean, McGarhill has a perfectly fine game. He doesn't really do anything wrong. He runs some he good lines. He makes one good run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has a few good touches on the ball, including one where he makes a little bit of a line break. And uh, Keith on the comms says, um, Bernie McCarhill there, he looked just like McGinty, which is the name of his father's racehorse. Oh, yeah, no, he did. Yeah. So I heard that and I was so confused. That I just kind of stopped and didn't process it. That's on 34 seconds, uh, 34 minutes and 50 seconds uh, into the, uh, the the game on YouTube. That, uh, that Keith Wing throws out that particular line of commentary. Um, it reminded me a lot of the bit in the recent Squidge video where you talk about... Oh, yeah, I've heard of those. When you talk about Josh van der Fleer's pet, uh, Pete. Um, mm. uh, and it made me think that it was just something you made up on the spot. of just like, a player called Bernie McCarhill would have a racehorse called McGinty. So do you want to know something very interesting yeah. about Bernie McCarhill? Yeah. Uh, his brother goes on to play for Ireland in the 1995 World Cup. What? Sean McCarhill. Huh. Fair play. We'll, we'll cover you that are. later. It's literally my only fact for you. Oh, other than the fact that his dad has a racehorse called McGinty. His dad has a racehorse called McGinty. Do you think he's named after Which they assume McGinty? we all know. It is, yeah, yeah. That was the thing I thought when I heard when it. Yeah, yeah. Bizarre, bizarre moment of commentary. My or, brain just went in six different directions. Maybe. I barely slept, so I just went, okay, maybe. Fine. I guess that would happen. Actually, um, Bernie McCarhill Senior is a big fan of the Scottish Rugby Podcast and named it after Johnny mm-hmm. McGinty. I think that's very possible. Yeah, that's very possible. Maybe it was inspired by playing this game. He then goes, well, in twenty years' time, twenty to thirty years' time. 50 years time, I'm going to listen to a podcast dedicated exclusively to the team I'm playing today yeah. and go back in time and tell my dad to name the horse yeah. after one of the co-hosts of that podcast. Yeah. And hence why the racehorse is called Ian Hay. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Indeed the racehorse is. But Keith Quinn's also a big fan, so he got confused. Hey, no, it eats hay. It eats hay. It's entirely... He's got an entirely Scottish rugby pod-based horse platform. Whoa. Is he a black, a black horse? horse yeah. Nice. Try and think of an Anderson pun. Do it now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite difficult. Um, he's bloody the guy from The Matrix. Yeah. Um, that's all we've got. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um... And, and, and it's calf. It's son. And it's son. What? With oh. baby yeah. anyway, anyway um we stretched that out for far too long <laughs> half time we get to half time yeah what happened there because i sort of skipped forward over like a scrum resetting or something and suddenly the team's attacking the other way yeah i don't really know but all i know is lots of fights yeah yeah like they yeah. come straight back out and immediately they start scrapping again and i love it more of it yeah yeah it's mostly fights and Grant Fox going for goal from them. Scotland commits so many stupid penalties, man. Yeah. Like, I went back and would occasionally look at them and be like, what was it for? Oh, yeah, that's just really dumb. Just yeah, really dumb. Yeah, Anytime you're going to get into 22, pretty much, with three example, three exceptions, Scotland just do something stupid yeah. and kill it and give away three points rather than six. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is, with the scoring system as it was, no wonder Grant Fox was going for goal all the time. Yeah. Because... The try is le- less valuable than it is today, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Especially, as we say, in knockout rugby. Um, yeah. There's a point where uh, John Gallagher hits the line and drops it. And it's like, what? This is this is completely unheard of. But then, to fast forward, they do eventually get that move working. Yes. Because eventually New Zealand's first try comes when he blitzes through. Mm. And again, it's Grant Fox doing the unselfish, boring pass. Gets the yeah. ball and goes straight to uh, Mackay Hill and Stanley outside him and thinks, you're the guys to execute this, which is such an underrated skill of knowing when to do that. Um, yeah. as, as you say, especially at this in this day and age. And Gallagher picks his line perfectly. He kind yeah, of finds... Yeah, Yeah, he kind of finds Tukolo in no man's land. It's an impossible situation for Tukolo to defend. And he's straight into the sticks, as you say. Yeah, and it's before forwards, like, defended, mm. you know? Yeah. They just kind of waited around the fringes throwing punches. Yeah. So you literally have them numbered up, but the fullback isn't there. It's long before so folding existed. easiest. Yeah. Yeah. There's no drift defence, none of this, like, Andy Farrell aggressive line speed. No. None of this exists yet. They just have to um, beat the space that's in front of them. Yeah. And easy, simply, go straight through, yeah. scores. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we might as well also touch on Alan Wetton's try while we're here. Um, Can we, before that, yes. touch on Alan Wetton's groin, like that sponge? So at one point, in, okay, there's an injury. I didn't spot this. Did you not spot any of this? No. So, okay. So this is one of my favourite moments of the game, right? At one point, um, New Zealand are in 22. They were kind of under some pressure. And there's a bizarre tackle where Buck Shelford gets flipped round onto his back. Yes. After he gets a turnover yeah. in the Scottish 22. Yeah. And he kind of gets flipped round onto his own back. It's a weird tackle. And then somehow behind him, uh, we see Alan Wesson falls to the floor. Yes. And a Scottish player jogs back into Matt their Duncan, line. Duncan, is it not? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it might be. I'm not quite sure what happens to to Wesson. I think it's Alan Wesson. Yes. Yeah. Um. And he's just down. He is. He looks really hurt. Like it's yeah, really bad. Yeah. Clearly. Um. And he is like it writhing around in a lot of pain. And then on comes a medic holding a sponge. Okay. <laughs> and the medic sits next to him, doesn't say a word. Wetton is like, like really holding his leg in pain, like the kind of like joining point between like his leg and his groin is like really hurting okay. clearly, and he's kind of like really like, and he's a hard man, yeah. So oh, clearly, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. something's really wrong for him to be that hurt. And you wonder if it's like, like a joint, like a like a ligament or something yeah, has yeah. gone. Um, and then the guy with the sponge kind of like puts his sponge up next to him. And Alan Wetton still isn't paying attention. He's kind of like waving the sponge about, like, like, hi, Alan, do you want the sponge? Do you want the sponge? <laughs> and then along comes a woman with a bucket of water, right? A bucket of soapy water. Puts it down next to the guy with the sponge. <laughs> the guy with the sponge puts the sponge into the bucket of water and just really timidly dabs it on Alan Wetton's leg. <laughs> and Wetton then kind of goes, and he looks down and sees his sponge on his leg and he kind of goes like, okay. And the guy then starts to like just sponge up and down that bit of his leg that's hurt. <laughs> Until then the camera then cuts away and we see like the line out setting up or whatever's yeah, happening. Yeah, there's a fight. Um, there's a fight going on in the foreground yeah. while he's getting treated to. We then cut back and we see Alan Wetton again. 
And the guy with the sponge is now just rubbing, now just like dobbing it up and down on his groin. And he's now just like sponging his groin over and over. And Alan Wetton is just there looking very, very confused. <laughs> like he stopped like writhing around in pain. He just looks baffled like by what's going on. to tell Sponge Boy to go away. <laughs> So this sponge guy is just sat there and like he dips it back in the bucket of water so it's damp again and then just continues to just soak his shorts for no reason. <laughs> and there's absolutely a 0% chance this has helped his injury at all. But somehow, Alan Wayne, who was previously, as I say, very hard man, really, really hurt... Having been dabbed tenderly by a sponge, in a bucket he gets of cold water. Yeah, and about three minutes later, he scores. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's funny about that fight that goes on in the background is David Kirk throws a punch. What? Yeah. David Kirk punches a Scottish forward. This is such an odd minute. Yeah. David Kirk, head boy, throws a punch. Yeah. Who does he punch? What does he do? I, what happens? I don't know. Is he still alive? I think it might have been Derek Turnbull, um, because he was a magnet for punches in this game. <laughs> yeah. I think this was the same fight where Sean Fitzpatrick stared him down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, David Kirk being a shithouse. I like, imagine this isn't... David Kirk swings a punch on the outside. Like he oh, yeah, 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 he does. It's a really shit elbow. punch. Like, yeah. he's clearly never done it before for multiple like, reasons. There's no, like, follow-through on his punch. No. No, 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 no. no. Uh, nothing of the sort. But, yeah, um, whilst whilst Alan Wetted is having cold water applied to his leg, um, David Kirk is going off the fucking rails. Why was the water soapy as well? <laughs> Why do they get them soapy water? I like how bubbles. New Zealand Rugby Union employed two people one of them to just hold That's a sponge it. a... and literally just a sponge that can fit in one hand and somebody else to carry the bucket. It's a two-person job to apply water to Alan Wetton's leg. Incredible. Maybe they thought, because if it was Gavin Hastings' leg, it would be a several-person job. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Alan Wetton, you it's can, a whole team. can reach it. Yeah. Like, you need, like, a window cleaner to come and do Gavin Hastings' leg. Yeah. I can't believe the band Wet Leg were named after Alan Wetton. They, they were. He did. He did indeed yeah. have a wet leg, um, and he was laid down like he was on a chaise long. Nice. Um, so yeah. So Alan Wetton then scores a try. Yep. Almost immediately after having a damp leg. Yeah. <laughs> and the try comes from David Kirk dropping the ball. Yeah. Um, don't. Don't get me wrong. Alan Wesson's reaction times are outstanding here. And his mm. finish is fantastic as well, where he dies to yeah, line yeah. really low and drives somebody back. But it's really funny that that was how they broke the Scottish defence down, was from Matt Duncan flying up to try and smash David Kirk, who then drops the ball and Alan Wesson just picks the ball up and just scores. I hadn't noticed this until the commentator said it. Alan Wetton scores in every game mm. in this. Yeah. He's, and, he's oh, New Zealand's games. Yeah, yeah. he just had every game in the Rugby World Cup, and you're like, well, he he didn't score in Canada, Wales, did he? Um, but yeah, I said I hadn't paid attention to just what a run he was on. Yeah, yeah, four he's tries in four games. He's been excellent, yeah. hasn't he? Um, but yeah, no, he scores that, and uh, that's kind of that 
starts to create distance between New Zealand and Scotland. Yeah, at that this kind point. of kills them. Yeah, and, and say at least the Scotland kind of forcing things and becoming far more desperate. And actually, it starts to work are for them. Like beat, they, yeah. Scotland do actually break the line quite a few times yeah. during their forcing it phase in this last fifteen. One minutes. great point where Gavin Hastings makes a break where he has a dummy in a go and then he chips it over. But with mm. those massive legs, a chip for Gavin Hastings just happens to go 50 metres and lands in the All Blacks 22. At which point, John Kerwin picks it up and runs into touch. And it's like, mate, you could score if you wanted to. You're John Kerwin. <laughs> Why aren't you doing it all the time? Yeah, Because you are the best player by such a margin. Yeah, Sorry, Grant. Um, but yeah, and that's brilliant. And that's kind of Scotland's big opportunity in the game, I would say. And they just love to blow these things. That. I'll tell you what, speaking of blowing it though, few minutes to go, there's a kind of loose ball situation. You didn't regather it. There are five All Blacks and one Scottish oh, defender. Oh, God. Just Tuka on his yeah. own. Yeah, and it's Shelford Jones and Craig Green. Craig Bloody Green, who has been the... on fire all tournament. Winger scored four tries against Italy. Yeah. As I say, scoring constantly. Yeah. He's been fantastic all tournament, but he missed a sitter there. Absolute, like, horrible, I, I horrible say, missed open goal. Credit stuff. to Robertson and Tate for uh, flying from the centre. Was it Tate rather than... Oh, okay. no, no, just generally throughout the game, Robertson and Tate for keeping Craig Green so quiet uh, and yeah. making sure it was always the centres getting tackled. Uh, because Craig Green just didn't see any ball or game. No, John Kerwin barely saw the ball or game. So I've got to got to commend those centres for Scotland. I think because John Kerwin is superb and sort of ahead of his time in the way he pendulums and swings back and yeah, anticipates yeah. what a def- what an attack's going to do defensively. Mm. Like we talk about his attack a lot, but like he is defensively He's so solid, so good. Yeah, like his decision making is excellent. Yeah, he is um, very smart. But. It, that is where he's seeing most of the ball. I think maybe his disallowed try is the only time he gets it in any kind Agreed. of space. Yeah, yeah, certainly from a New Zealand attack. Um, mm. He barely gets the ball. And yeah, just well done to Scotland for keeping the two of them quiet because the two of them have been mm. world-class all tournament. Um, and it can't have been an easy task, so fair play to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Joe Stanley, I think, is the guy that eventually bombs it yeah, on that yeah. chance. Um, as you say, Green should have scored yeah. it. Um, Jones and Shelford should have done something. Joe Stanley eventually is like the guy who ends up tackled, but it's only because they do such a bad job of drawing two cologne. He does such a yeah. great job of just staying alive. Uh, and I mean, um, you know, it's a remarkable moment Scotland, from him. Yeah, because yeah. those games when you're 30 points to three down with two minutes left on the clock, it can't be nice, can it? No, it so can't. And then think, well, um, I've got to bust my ass to get over there. Like, and they did. So fair play to them. Yeah, full play to Glow has another good game mm. um, and shows an all-round game here, I think. He kicks and he tackles yeah, better yeah. than he has in the previous games. Yeah. Um, no, Tuklo does play really, well. Yeah, really, really enjoyed him yeah. during this tournament. I agree. I think he's been a really, really fun player to kind of discover, like a player whose name I'd heard but I didn't know anything about. Mm, sure. Um, we, I, didn't, I hadn't seen him play, I hadn't seen any clips of him, nothing other than just like I'd heard the name. We're going to have a party very soon, but... And yeah, he's definitely a player that I've I've really really yeah. Well, okay, so New Zealand get held up over the line. That's the end of the game. Yeah, the referee has been very pedantic all game. Yeah. so makes sense he'd want to end it on a held up. Yeah, and Scotland are therefore out of the tournament. Yes, New Zealand win and thirty points to three, through to the semi-finals. That of course means 
that I now have to quickly type into Apple Music Proclaimers. Didn't we have the Proclaimers last time? Yeah, of course we did. Okay, fair enough. I know Scotland's produced an awful lot of, of excellent, excellent... It has. Um, you're wearing a t-shirt of one of them right now. I, I, I um, certainly am. I'm wearing a Biffy Claro t-shirt as we speak. Don't lie and seem cool. Don't try and lie and seem cool. We all know you're wearing a t-shirt of Amy McDonald. Yes, I am. So, with Scotland going out... There's only one thing you can possibly say. What are we listening to? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Took me a moment there. So, with Scotland out out of the tournament, gutted, disappointed, you know, this was a a pretty decent Scotland team, all in all. It really was. They've got a lot of great players. Like, Ian Paxton's been one player that I've really had my eyes open to. Yeah, Um, yeah. Very underrated player. Um, Finlay Calder's an obvious one, isn't he? Yeah. uh, He's remembered as one of the greatest players Scotland have ever had. Likewise, Gavin Hastings. Yeah, and I mean, so, again, for the kind of context, I guess, this was a Scotland team who were coming into this, um, coming into this tournament, coming into this, this first World Cup, second in the Six yeah. Nations, having only lost to the Grand Slam champions France, um, who remain in this tournament, remain alive, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, and it's the backbone of the team that go on to win the Grand Slam a few years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of see a lot of the kind of, so players like Matt Tate who make the debut here. Matt and Tate. a lot of players. Alan Tate. Alan Tate. Alan Tate. But yeah, uh, there's Alan Tate's a lot of... another one I was going to single out. He's yeah. been brilliant. Really good form. A lot of players like Alan Tate who start to establish themselves and you can see the backbone of what would be one of the greatest Scotland teams ever starting to build. Yes. Like they're kind of, it's kind of the tournament before they click. It's the yeah. tournament before um, this team. And obviously, you know, 91, they go on to achieve their best ever World Cup result. Yeah. So... It's it's starting to build. You can see how this is going to be a really good team in a few years' time. Yeah. Um, even if they're not necessarily at this point, the guys yet. You know, it's kind of a lot of young players. It's a young Gavin Hastings. It's a young Matt Duncan. Yeah. It's a Iwan Tukolo, you know, who's fantastic. Right? I had a great yeah, time yeah. watching. Yeah. Um, Roy Laidlaw, who was seemingly 86, but would go on to play for a few years after this. You know, some, somehow he had... Oh, no, he only plays for Scotland for another year. That's fine. But yeah, you've got you've got a really strong team here. Finlay Calder just coming through. Mm. I will say that my player of the tournament for Scotland has to be Richard Cram. <laughs> With all credit to Adam. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's quite hard to pick his player of the tournament for Scotland, to be honest. Um... I want to give it to one of those two wingers, Tuchel and Duncan, because I think they're such yeah. fun to watch. They are a lot of fun. Um, I think Paxton, Calder are fantastic. I say, Calder only made the Scotland team a year earlier than this. Mm. Like This is really early in his career. Colin Deans is very good, and you gave him out of the match. Yeah. Um, and I might yeah. do the same today, because he had just as good a game. Yeah. Um, and I, But I think, if I'm going to pick one player as their player of the tournament, I think, on balance, I'm going to go Alan Tate. I was thinking. A, I was thinking Alan Tate. What a way to announce really, yourself, man! That's it. Yeah, like 
uh, he couldn't have done anything more. No, and he really deserved to start this quarterfinal and push himself above. Yeah, uh, play, you know, more established players than himself. I mean, Gavin Hastings has been bloody excellent, hasn't he? So uh, like, I can't really look past him. But Alan Tate's been fantastic. He came into this tournament as basically a unheard of youngster, yeah. right? Yeah, and suddenly out of nowhere, he is undroppable by the end of this tournament. He goes into both the lines, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. plays with them, wins two caps in the 97 tour. Yeah. Yeah. Like, long international brilliant. career. Yeah. yeah. Um, plays until the 99 I mean, World Cup. Difficult to pick a dick of the tournament, but Derek Turnbull did start a fight with Brooke Shelford, so... You take that with pride, my son. I mean, I don't I don't quite know where to go. Um, I quite like that this is a Scotland team with two Derricks in the pack and a Derrick as a coach. Um, yeah. So Derek, Derek, Derek of the day. Derek, yeah, um, you can look at Scott Hastings for getting injured right away on his first tap. Oh, that's touch. true, that's true. Um, and I think after the hype on him and the excitement on him and the anticipation on him, I think he might be my dick in the tournament. Through no <laughs> fault of his own. No. Nope. Yeah. Uh, God bless you, Scott Hastings. Um, okay, so, Mottam and Dotted. Um, yes. So, I would say... Dick of the day, okay. Mm. Quite a difficult one to pick. Again, I've just spoken about Turnbull because of him starting fights with just everybody and mm-hmm. Brooke Shelford. And if he was Dick of the day for this, it'd be a bad for him to wear with pride. But I've got to give it unforgivable Joe Stanley for throwing a miss pass. Oh, yeah, and then blowing a try as well. What's he doing? But mostly the miss pass, as you say, like completely un. I don't know why you'd ever throw a miss pass. Yeah. Um, miss passes are. I actually have it written losers. down in my notes the dick of the day as Miss Pass, who is my old art teacher. Oh, nice. And huh, you know what? That... She is a dick. Are you changing your vote? No. No. Cool. Okay. So, Joe Stanley. See, okay. So, dick of the day, right? You look through the team sheets, there's plenty of people. Um, but really, the most of this game is Scotland being penalised. <laughs> Like yeah. that is that makes up the majority of this game, right? Yeah. And so, I find it hard to point to one individual, and therefore, my dick of the day is the Scottish national rugby team. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Man of the match is completely a two-horse race for me, um, and one of the horses isn't McGinty. Uh, just just <laughs> to keep that clear, although it could be, but. One of them is Grant Fox, who we've spoken about at mm. lengths. And the other one is Alan Wettin, uh, who was more like Alan yeah. Wet leg. Um, Grant Fox has got to, got to be my man of the match. He's been absolutely amazing. He pumped Scotland downfield so many times. The amount of my notes that are just taken up by me talking about how good Grant Fox is, it'd be wrong of me not to give him man of the match. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? You said, oh, Alan Wenton was great, and he was great, but there was not a moment in which anyone other than Grant Fox was man of the match, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I just wanted to pretend to myself that there was a moment where somebody else could have won it, but Grant Fox, utterly world-class today. Absolutely. Nailed on. Grant Fox, thank you very much. Good home, good night, good go away, and I hope you have a wonderful and lovely afternoon not being Grant Fox. Lovely. So... That brings us to an end. I thought this was going to be quite a short one, but we've done an hour like four. We've done a long time. I get this fine. Done a long time. Um, so, 
please join us next time we move on to the next quarterfinal. Uh, it should be Fiji v France, but we might have to jump around the order because I'm struggling to get hold of that game and Australia sure. Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what order we can get the quarterfinals done in, but we'll, we'll be back next week. If not, it'll be one of them, one of them. A quarterfinal. A quarterfinal will be coming up next week, and we'll see you then for that. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and good night. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.